0: Listen, I don't know about you today, but I came to hear a word from God. So if you don't mind, grab your Bibles real quickly, whether you have a traditional Bible, a app, or if you have our church app. If you don't have our church app, download our church app. Uh, We have a Bible inside of our church app that you can use. You can simply go to Google Play or Apple Store and just download The Light CFC. And there is a link for you to connect with us on there with the Bible. Amen? Listen, go with me to Matthew chapter 2. We were in Matthew chapter 1 last week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2 this week. And as you're finding, if you have the ability to stand, stand with me uh, as I read this text to you today as we prepare to go further in the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, just repeat out to me. Say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a from you. So open my ears so that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renewing me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said... Amen. Listen, if you're a first-time visitor here, I know I have a co-worker that's here today, and I'm excited about him being here today. Last week, I had one come, and he repeated this week. So, Tyler, I am so thankful for you being back as well. It's, it's always a great thing to see men of God in the building of God. Amen? And so I am a, I'm grateful for them being here. But if you're a first-time visitor and you have never filled out a Guest Connect card, uh, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will get back with you so you can fill out a Guest Connect card. We want to give you a gift and more information about it so that we can connect with you. Amen? Amen. Listen, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 through 12 for us today just for clarity so that we understand where we are. So when you got it, say, I got it. Let me read it for you. Here's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. The Bible says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, Magi were nothing more than wise men. They could be considered scientists, different things, astrologers, they would be able to tell things about the stars, by the moon, things of like that. So the Magi, the, the wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Verse 4 says, "Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Then he said to him, and Beth- then they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea; for this is what has been written by the prophets." Catch this verse 6, "And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah." For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and Worshipped him. Then, opening the treasure, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, and it will close on this. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country by another way. For a moment today, I want to lift up this passage of Scripture, and I simply want to title it, Unwrapping the Gift of Worship. Unwrapping the Gift of Worship. You may be seated on today. Unwrapping the Gift of Worship. There's nothing like the days that lead up to Christmas. I don't know about you, but I remember the times growing up where my mom and dad, they put a Christmas tree in the living room and it seemed like every day leading up to Christmas there would be more and more gifts up under the tree. Now everybody knows there's one unique thing about the Christmas holiday. You don't just buy gifts and sit them under the tree. You have to wrap the gifts. Why? Because it's supposed to be a surprise. There's this anticipation that builds up as you look at the gifts under the tree wondering what might they be. I remember as a kid when my mom and dad would go to sleep, I would sneak out of my room. Dad, don't hold it against me. I would sneak out of my room, and I would go, and I would look at the gift, and I would look at it, and I would begin to feel them. You know, sometimes you could feel certain gifts, and you go, oh, oh, these are clothes. They're, they're a little bit too soft. I'm not worried about the But it was the ones that were in a box. You would have to shake and rock. You would have to listen real close. You wanted to see what could it be in this gift. And that was nothing like waking up Christmas morning and unwrapping the gift. Could you believe and remember all the things that you thought may have been in that package But once you really looked into that package, you really find what was there. I remember when my parents got smart. I think they figured out that I was finding out what was closed and what was not closed. And they began to put clothes inside of boxes. And and so that would be the first thing I would run to, only to find out that there was just a sweater or a sweatshirt or a jacket at that time. Listen, I was thankful for those clothes. I I don't know about y'all, but I had hand-me-downs sometimes growing up. So any time that I got something brand new, it felt good to get something new. But I just remember how good it felt to see those gifts under the tree and to be able to unwrap them, the energy that was put into it once I wanted to see what it was all about. Today, I wanna to apply that same concept to unwrapping the gift of worship. Do you know, and you may not know, but hopefully after today that you will know, the only gift that you can truly give unto God is to worship Him? That is the one gift that we as human beings Unto God. I know some of us think that a tiding is a gift, but tiding is a result of our worship. We're going to talk about that later. The only true gift that we as believers can give to God is worship. How do we know this? Because even the scripture tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, it tells us that God is spirit. Therefore, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's the word of God for the people of God. The only thing that God ever seeked from us from the beginning was for us to worship him. Worship being the act of honoring him. So therefore, when we give God the gift of worship, it should be a gift that willingly honors him. So we have to ask ourselves, when God unwraps our worship, does it honor him? Does God get excited when he sees our worship on the way to him? Or does he look at it and say, oh, that, that worship ain't about nothing right there. That, that's just the show. They just want somebody to see what they're doing. Or does he look at it and say, you know what, These, this is the heart of my people because the Bible says God inherit, inherits the heart of his people, the praises of his people. He receives the praises of his people. So the question is, how do we worship God? Believe it or not, we get caught up in the Christmas holiday all about gifts, and I hope I'm not busting your bubble or giving you surprise. Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. Uh, we have turned this holiday that should have been a day that remembered and recognized who Jesus Christ is and why he was created for us. We've made it into all about ourselves. We, We worry about if we're getting the good deals, if we're buying the best things, just so that we can honor ourselves. We honor our children. We honor our wives. We give them gifts on the day. But the question is, do you really honor God? And the thing is, we can't limit honoring God to one day. We should honor God every day of the week. We should honor him from beginning, from the time we wake up to the time that we go to sleep. Everything that we do should be about God. Our lives should be centered around worshiping. Our lives should not be centered around working. Our lives shouldn't be centered about trying to work out a relationship. Our lives should be centered around worshiping. Again, I bring up this text all the time. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all other righteousness shall be added unto you. When you begin to center your life, your focus around honoring God, things just seem to fall in place. See, many of us fail to realize life is like a puzzle. I used to hate those puzzles that my mom used to want me to play with when I was young because it was so hard to try to figure the puzzle out. We would try to make the puzzle work, the 100-piece puzzle, we would try to make it work putting together the pieces on the inside. But one day she taught me a trick. She says, if you put together the outside, then the inside will begin to fall in place. If you put together the frame, what holds it all together, then the inside will begin to fall in place. Worship our relationship with God is the framing of this puzzle called life. It is the one thing that holds everything together. And so when we fail to have our worship, our relationship right with God, the framework of who we are, then we are in a situation where things begin to fall out of place. It's a struggle to put things where they belong because of the simple fact that we don't have that one thing, that relationship right with God. We struggle with praising and worshiping as a congregation sometimes because we we don't even worship in private. You can't be upset with somebody because they don't know how to clap their hands. You can't be upset because they don't know how to cry out to God. I can't cry out before people if I don't even cry out in my own private time if I hadn't taken the time to to truly realize who God is and what God has done in my life, I don't think I could truly ever explain or express it to someone else because of the fact that I haven't figured it out myself. Today, we will unwrap this gift called worship. Because if nothing else, as we prepare to move forward to the Christmas holiday, we want to know why we do what we do and how we, we should do it from this point on. Here it is in the text, man. The magi, these wise men, these astrologers, they have discovered that Jesus Christ has been born, the Messiah. They, they have heard the prophecy. They've seen the star. And they are on a mad race to go find the Messiah. And on their journey, they pass by King Herod's place. And King Herod hears them discussing about what they're on a mission to do, who they're on a mission to find. And he realizes that they're on the way to find the Messiah. What is the issue with going to find the Messiah? The Messiah has been predicted to be the king of all kings. I don't know about you, but as a king, that would make me seem like I am nothing. And so Herod hears that the king of all kings is now on the scene. And so he, he reaches out to the other priests and the scribes, and they say, hey, man, tell me more about this. What is to happen to me? What is going down? I need to know what happens. And, and they begin to, to express how this king will rule all. He will redeem all. This, this is his soul. He has all power. He has all control. He is truly the son of God. And so Herod is bothered by this. And as a result of Herod being bothered by this, Herod calls for the Magi again. I know we say three wise men, but we don't know for sure if it was three wise men. It was a group of wise men. We just know they went bearing three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But these wise men, however many they may have been, came to Herod, and Herod begins to try to play on their intelligence. Just tell me more about this king of all. Tell me, where did he come from? When did he's going to arrive? Where did this star show exactly because he wanted to know the exact time Jesus was born why is this important because by the time they found Jesus Jesus is no longer that baby that we portray him to be and the manger the Bible has said when when the Magi walked into the room they saw the child and its mother Jesus we don't know the exact age by the time that the Magi found him but we know that he was a adult he was a child at that time he may have been walking he may have been crawling however they want to describe it but we know that that they were not, they did not just walk on the scene as soon as Mary pushed the baby out. That's not how it happened. Uber wasn't around to get them there that fast. Things had to happen. They had to transition. The local camel was probably the slowest camel. However, it took them, it took them a while to get there. But when they got there, they saw Jesus and they began to present gifts. And so Herod wanted to know exactly when did that star appear? Because that gave him a timeline of how old Jesus may have been. If you really know your Bible and you take time to know your Bible, you move forward, you'll see that King Herod is going to be the same individual that issues a decree to kill all children at a certain age frame. How did he get that age frame? Because he was given the time frame that the star appeared, which lets him know how old Jesus was. He was on a mission to kill Jesus, but he tells the Magi, he tells the wise men, when you find him, come back and report to me. Come back and let me know what you find and how you find. Because I, too, want to worship him. Ah, church, I just want to pause there for a minute. It does not have a lot to do with my message today, but I want to make sure that you understand that everybody that talks about the same thing that you talk about that may be in the same place that you are don't serve the exact same purpose. In other words, there will be some church folks in the church that claim to know Jesus, love Jesus, but guess what? They're not willing to seek Jesus. They're willing to try to find a way to get you and to destroy everything that you talk about, that you believe in, that you stand on, because their life itself isn't right. Guess this? Misery Loves company. Misery loves company. I know our church is young. I know our church is small. I know our church is growing. But the good thing is that at this stage of our life, at this stage of our ministry, it is a great opportunity for us to realize that when people begin to whisper and and complain in the church it's possibly because they're unhappy and as a result of it they want everybody else to be unhappy Uh, the church shouldn't be about the local fashion show the church shouldn't be about who drives what type of car the church shouldn't even be about what type of music we sing and don't sing the church should simply be about honoring God and honoring God's purpose and therefore we have to get to a point where we realize the only thing that we're supposed to do is submit to God so the magi gets this decree When you find him, come back and tell me so that I, too, can worship him. When we look at the text, I want to make sure that you understand something. The purpose of the Magi and the problem of the king were both one and the same thing. That Jesus was now on the scene and deserved and desired to be worshipped. This was a threat to the king, but it was confirmation to the people. And so here, here Jesus is. He's, he's on the scene. The Magi are coming. And the first thing that happens, the text tells us when they enter the room, the first thing that happens is that they fall down and worship him. The first thing that happens is they fall down and worship him. I want to make sure that you understand something. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, that those who worship him, shall worship him in what? Both spirit and in truth. I want to bring this to a point where you can understand it and, and realize what the Bible is actually telling us here in the text. What I want you to understand is that there's two forms of worship. This is good enough for you to write down for you to remember to hold on. We as believers have the opportunity to issue and to give God one internal worship, the second external worship. That's the easiest way for us to put it. That's the easiest way for us to explain it, is that we, as the people of God, have the opportunity to give God internal worship and external worship. Internal worship, we can call this the spirit worship. When we talk about the spirit worship, what I want you to understand that is internal worship deals with the spirit man, which defines the mental acceptance of who God is. When you mentally accept who God is, we talked about this on last Sunday. When you mentally accept who God is, you can now begin to internally, spiritually, worship God for being God. But it begins with the mindset. The Bible says, so as a man thinketh, so is he. If we don't get our minds right, there's no way that our hearts can get right. We can have a desire to want to do right, but as long as we're thinking wrong, we will always do wrong. So the first thing that we have to understand is that we have to have an internal form of worship. You have to know who God is for yourself. The wise men, the magi, they've already had their internal form of worship. How do we know that? When they seen the star, they knew what it was which means they had already built a relationship to study the words. These were astrologers. I want you all to understand, we deal with a, a, a technology now, we deal with a society now that science is trying to overrule spirituality, where people are trying to say that everything can be proven scientifically that has no rule or reign over what God has done spiritually. They want to They want to chop up the world's existence to the Big Bang Theory. They want to talk about man has become man through evolution. But the truth is, everything that has happened has happened because God has spoken it into existence for it to happen. God has allowed it to happen. And so here it is, the magi, these scientists of this time, they spiritually understand who God is? Why do you say they spiritually understand who God is? If they did not spiritually understand who God is, if they did not understand that Christ, that the prophets had spoken of the coming of the Christ, of the Messiah, if they did not understand this, they never would have been on a journey looking for him in the first place. They never would have been on a journey to look for him in the first place. I know some of us want to receive all the benefits of the relationship with Jesus. But before you begin to receive the benefits, you have to establish your belief. You have to establish your belief. You have to know without a shadow of a doubt why I believe what I believe and how what is it that I exactly believe. The Magi had internal worship, which means I don't care who knows and who don't know. I know what I believe. Uh, my wife makes a joke all the time when I do something good. I have this habit of going to her and telling her how I did this. Matter of fact, this week. Cleaned up the whole house. I'm not a cleaner. That's not my thing. I will pay somebody to do it before I try to do it myself. But I went, I cleaned it. When I tell you, I swept, and I ain't just sweep. I mopped. I scrubbed baseboards. I cleaned up the whole house just for her. She took the kids, went grocery shopping. I cleaned up the whole house just for her. And she walks in the house like it ain't no big deal. And like she didn't just see that pile of clothes on the floor, and they gone. And so I played it out for a little while like it wasn't no big thing. It was just, all right, cool. But eventually it got on my nerves, and I was like, hey. But you see, I just cleaned up the house, all the dishes washed, the clothes are in the laundry room, the floor has been swept and vacuumed in areas that needed to be vacuumed. And she looked at me, she's like, yeah, but then guess what she says? Do you need a cookie? (laughs) And part of me wanted to say, yeah, matter of fact, make it a chocolate chip brownie with pecans in it. That's what I really want. The reason being because what I did, I did to get somebody to say, you did a good job. You did a good job. But the truth is, when you do something just because you believe in it, because it's internal, you don't look for somebody to say, yay, good job. She cleans up every day. She cooks every day. Washes clothes every day. And I don't think I ever hardly come and say, man, you did a wonderful job today. Why? Because what she's doing is not being done to seek praise, Pastor. And what does this have to do with the message? When you have a true relationship with God that establishes internal worship, you don't have to show out for anybody. You're not looking for somebody to just give you a clap on the back. This is why so many of us look good on Sunday, but we look like a hot mess Monday through Saturday because of the simple fact that we can worship God in front of some people, but we won't worship God in front of other people. What is that? That's not being fake and phony. It's just you ain't got it right. It's not internally right with you. It has not rooted in your heart and in your mind that Jesus is Lord. And as a result of it, you can't be consistent in it. I can't be consistent in the cleaning because it's not in my heart. It's not in my heart to do it. I tried my best. Matter of fact, right after I cleaned up, I probably threw my shoes somewhere they didn't belong because of the simple fact that I did it to get monetary praise. But if it was truly who I was, I would do it whether somebody saw me do it or not because my, my heart was in it. My hope and my prayer as believers, as members of the Light Christian Fellowship Church, for those who will be future members of the Light Christian Fellowship Church, that one thing that people can say about us, they truly know God. But in order for them to say that, in order to be the light, you have to have it internally first. I bought a lantern this week, not a lantern, but uh, one of those lantern heat heat lamps that, uh, that runs off of kerosene. And I was playing with it. I was trying to light it, do all type of things, not understanding that the, it won't even light. The, it, even though it has a candle wick on the inside of it, it won't light until the kerosene is on the inside of it. I can have a bottle of kerosene on the outside of it and have a light. I got everything that I need. But because I didn't put it where it belongs, it serves no purpose. You can come here every Sunday and know the word, hold the word, keep that bobbling in your hand, but until you put it in your heart, it serves no purpose. You can recite it all you want to. The Bible had Pharisees and scribes that recited the scripture. They tried to get Jesus caught up, but the thing was, it was not in their heart. It was not embedded in them internally. When God speaks that they worship Him in spirit, your spirit man dwells internal. You have to get it and have it established who God is internally. You have to know for yourself who God is internally. Now, this is the catch. This is where it gets difficult because what happens on the inside should somehow find a way to manifest on the outside. I need you to receive that. This is why they must, they must worship him in spirit and in truth, internally and externally, because what happens on the inside has to somehow find a way to manifest itself on the outside. I mean, you take a seed and you plant it in the ground. You water it, you feed it all the nutrients that it's supposed to have. When that seed begins to absorb those nutrients, things begin to happen on the inside. And as a result of things happening on the inside, as a result of it growing on the inside, it naturally begins to manifest on the outside. The seed does not first grow a stalk. The seed first grows what? Roots. Why does it grow roots? Because it wants to receive more nutrients. It has to establish a system that says, whatever I'm getting here is good stuff, so therefore I want more of it this is why it baffles me why so many believers now and they say, I don't need the church. When you have a relationship with God, you want to be in whatever place has God stamped on it because you want to receive every bit of nutrients that you can possibly receive. You want to get your roots in the right place. Here it is that as a seed, it begins to spread roots. And after the roots get established, it begins to get nutrients. Then it, it begins to created a stalk and then from the stalk he creates his, his leaves and leaves lead into branches and branches leads into bearing fruit but it all began because something began to take place internally within that seed if all of us are seeds of Christ if all of us are seeds of God then we have to believe that at some point the word of God has to begin to to manifest itself internally uh, the first thing that most Christians make a mistake at doing is when they get saved, they begin to say, everything "Cut off on the side." They begin to say, "Now I'm with Jesus. I ain't going to the club no more. I ain't doing this no more." I understand that, and you want to talk about all these people that you're gonna delete off Facebook, and you ain't gonna, you're gonna block their numbers out of your phone. But the truth of the matter is, those same people gonna find a way back into your life at some way or another. You should be focusing on seeing yourself change instead of trying to make other people change. That's the crazy thing that, that most young believers, the first thing they want to do is they want to grab a Bible and they want to go tell somebody what they're doing wrong. you just known Jesus for 24 hours. How you going to come put your mouth on me? Why don't you begin to allow the Word of God to manifest in your life first? Yeah. After it manifests in your life, let your fruit, let yourself bear fruit that then shows me that this is real. Yeah. So I can seek, so I can desire. You have to begin to allow the Word of God to manifest internally. So that it can begin to produce something externally. Most of us have a struggle with worshiping God because of the fact that even if we can accept him internally, we don't like the cost of what it costs us externally. This is what I want to make sure that you understand. Uh, The Bible says that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say spirit or truth. You can't have one and not have the other. You cannot say, I worship him internally, but I'm not willing to, to worship him externally. I don't have to go around telling people about who Jesus is. I don't have to clap my hands. I don't have to praise. I don't have to give. I don't have to do any of these things because I know who Jesus is. God knows my heart. He knows your internal, but he can't see it external. The Magi understood that my worship couldn't just be internal. It had to also manifest itself external. This is why their belief led to their behavior. Come on, catch that. Your belief should change your behavior. This is what happens in the text. When the Magi find Jesus, they drop to their knees, they worship him. After they drop to their knees and worship him, they give him frankincense, gold, and myrrh. After they give him frankincense, gold, and myrrh, they were prepared to leave. They were given instructions to go back to Herod. But they said, you know what? God has spoken to us. We don't need to go back to Herod. We're going to go somewhere else. There are three things that happen within that description that are a prime example of when you worship God internally, how should your worship manifest itself externally? I wanna help you understand something. Worship is not just about singing. That is an art of worship. That is an expression of worship that we have created. Worship is not just about clapping your hands. That's just something we do. Worship is not even just about praise dancing. That's something we do. Can I tell you something I really want you to understand? Worship has a price. Worship costs you something. Even if it's just denying yourself, worship comes with a price. That's why oftentimes the best worship, the the people who are crying out to God, you don't know their story, therefore you don't understand their testimony. As a result of it, what they've been through, they can't help but to worship God. Because of the drama, because of the stress, because of the burdens, because of the things that they've lost, of everything that they've been through and how they've seen God deliver them from where they are to establish them where they now are is what leads them to worship him. The Magi teaches us how we should worship God externally. Y'all ready to learn today? Let's get this. The Bible teaches us in order for us to learn... To, uh, to worship God externally, one of the first things that we have to be willing to do is that it, external worship requires you to be willing to submit ourselves to him. That is the first of external worship. Your submission to God is the first sign of your external worship. How do we know this? The first thing that the Magi did when they saw him, guess this, the Bible says, "Drop to their knees. That's the very first thing that the magi did when they saw God. This is why sometimes, and I want to make sure y'all understand this. I love my men. This is why I'm always crunk to get more men in church. The reason why I so struggle to get more men in church is because of the fact that it causes for men in their relationship to God to submit to someone else. That is one of the biggest burdens of why men will not join church. This is why men don't want to be a part of it because it requires them to submit to someone else. Many of them can't even get past the fact that as a servant, as a church, not being a lead pastor, that they are in a position of that quote-unquote submission as they look to it to the leadership of the church. I'm not that type of pastor. I don't care about that type of thing. The true fact of the matter is I want you to understand something. It's nothing but a trick of the enemy to get you to think that you're submitting to a man when really you're submitting to God you to understand that brothers can i get you to understand that the reason why some men don't want to come to church the reason why some men don't want to be active and involved in church is because the devil has convinced them that you are submitting to a man when really it's the fact that you are submitting to god y'all don't remember the trick how the enemy tricked eve in the garden eve said if i eat this i'm gonna die and the enemy said no you won't surely die in other words you might die spiritually but you're not gonna die physically. The devil ain't got a lie to you. He can just manipulate you. And so many men struggle. This is why I'm so big about getting men into the church. It's because many men struggle to be submissive to God. I don't know if it's because we struggle because some of us didn't have fathers in our lives. I don't know why it is that we have this burden of struggling to, uh, to submit to God, but that is why of why men cannot give themselves completely to God. Why they're not part of a church? Because they're not willing to submit to who God is. The Bible teaches us, the the Magi teaches us, if you're truly going to worship God in spirit and in truth, you must be willing to submit. You must be willing to submit the Bible when the Bible teaches us about them submitting, by them falling to their knees, this word submit, what, what shows us in the text of or worship in this context, they actually fell to their knees and put their head on the ground. In other words, I'm not even worthy of looking at you. Jesus hadn't even performed a miracle yet. He was a child, but he fell to his knees and put they, the match I fell to their knees and put their head on the ground. Because they knew that because of who he was, that they had a responsibility to submit completely unto them, unto him. If you're going to call yourself a believer, you have to submit to who God is. In other words, you're no longer in control of anything. You're no longer the biggest and baddest. You're no longer the most powerful. You're no longer the most knowledgeable. You have to get to a position where you understand I am in the presence of something greater, someone greater than who I am. That's what allows you to cry out to him. I remember as a kid, as a kid, when things went wrong in my life, man, when when, when somebody was picking on me, I didn't have a big brother and big sister to call on. You know who I had to call Mama and daddy you know why I called on mama and daddy? Because they were bigger than me and badder than me. So as a believer, I I can't defend myself against every attack that the enemy throws my way. So what is my responsibility? To call on daddy. To call on him that has all power and all control to call on the one that can redeem me, that can protect me. He's given me a big brother through Jesus Christ that can bear all burdens. But in order for me to be able to do that, I have to know that I'm nothing and he is everything. He's my healer. He's my deliverer, provider. He's everything that I need. And when I see that, I naturally cement to who he is. I had an incident that happened this week with my son. My son, I asked my son to do something. I can't even remember what it was. Y'all know these new age kids, they kind of fly by the mouth. They 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 try to they try to act like they right, but they all all the way wrong. And, and so they try to get fly by the mouth. And Isaiah's so smart, he's, a, he's so intelligent. I have to catch myself because I'm still trying to get as smart as he is now. And he's just five years, six years old. And the dude is so fly. He he talks so articulate. And sometimes I think he's talking back to me when he's really just expressing himself. And so he said something to me. I asked him to do something, and he was like, Daddy, I don't want to do that. You didn't do this, so I don't want to do that. And I had to quickly remind Isaiah, wait, I'm the daddy, you the baby. I I said, I'm not mad at you, but I want to make sure, because we have a long life ahead of us if God's willing. I want to make sure that you understand that as an adult, I don't have to do what you want me to do. You have a responsibility to do what I want you to do. As believers, God doesn't have to do what we want him to do. But we have a responsibility to do what he's asking us to do. Many of us try to throw a temper tantrum with God. Well, God, you didn't give me this, so I ain't going to do that. Do it if you want to. Watch how it works out. Your kids can't even talk to you that way. What makes you think that you can talk to God that way? We have a responsibility to always submit ourselves to God to submit ourselves to his authority why because he is the ruler of our life this is why the magi fell on their knees when they fell on their knees to worship him they basically said whatever it is that you want us to do I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to say whatever it is it doesn't doesn't make me any different whatever it is that you want from me I'm going to do it it reminds me uh, uh, of the movie coming to America when when they were finna marry the young lady they presented that first wife to him and they was like on one leg and she was just sitting there jumping on one leg like a dog whatever it is that she she understood that i i am here to be submissive to you it's only a movie fellas don't get happy don't try to go home and ask your wives to jump on one leg i promise you it ain't gonna happen if she anything like mine you might be jumping on one leg and, and so here it is that we have to understand when you give yourself to god when you're truly worshiping god you submit everything he says god i'm all yours The second principle that the Magi teach us, they teach us through their giving. They teach us through their giving that we have to understand that being being a true worshiper is being willing to sacrifice for him. When you truly worship God, you are willing to sacrifice for him. This is going to mess up some of this New Age church. We don't believe that we should have to make a sacrifice. We should give whatever we want to give, and that's it. We should uh, do whatever we want to do, and that's it. But the truth of the matter is, as a believer, as a true worshiper, you have to sacrifice. I want to make sure that you understand something. We can give, and we can give comfortably as much as we want. But I just told you, worship costs. You want to know if you're a true worshiper tied when you can't afford to tie That shows, us, that shows God that you believe in who he is and what he says that he would do. Because the Bible says that if you give, I shall give it back unto you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is what he teaches us. If you sacrifice, the Bible teaches us that we can test him through our tithes. He says in the book of Malachi, watch one I open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. That's his word. So if you believe the word of God, you can't say, well, I don't believe that one particular passage. Then you basically said you don't believe none of the Bible. I'm not trying to make sure you're tired today. I'm trying to make sure that you understand something. If you're worshiping God, worship comes with a sacrifice. How do we know that worship comes with a a sacrifice? The Magi did it. They gave gold, they gave frankincense, and they gave myrrh. Three forms of sacrifice within the text. Why is that important for us to understand? Why did the Bible tell us the three forms of sacrifice that we should make? Because it defines why we sacrifice. This is why many of us have a struggle with giving. And I thank God for revealing this to me. I thank God for showing this to me because we don't know why we sacrifice. We don't, we have a problem with giving to the church through our tithes and offering because we think the pastor's getting rich off of it. I promise you, look at my life, y'all. It ain't happening. Y'all think that the church is is buying a new wing. We ain't even got our own building yet. That ain't happening. Uh, When we give, we give because God has commanded us to give, but it also has three reasons within the text why we should give. Catch this. Reason number one they gave gold. I want to show you the representation of the gold. Gold represented who they saw him as in that time the only person that you give gold to and the portions that they gave it to him was to the kings when you paid your taxes gold had value it was the number one mineral that you could possibly have and and they brought to him a baby a child gold they brought him gold because they revered him they seen him who he was to them, he was the king of their life. He was the king of all kings. So therefore, they brought what was most important to them, the money, the thing that could buy them food, the thing that can trade in any nations. They brought that to God. This is why the enemy attacks us financially is because he doesn't want us to be in a position where we willingly sacrifice our money to God. He doesn't want to put us in a position where we give what we have. We don't have cows and lambs to give to God anymore. Those offerings are not what we do. Those are not our form of currency anymore. Our form of currency is not the gold. is not silver pieces. Our form of currency is money. This is what we work for, and this is what we sacrifice. So the Bible says they brought gold because they seen him as their king, and they wanted to honor him. They seen him as their king, and so they wanted to honor him. So why do I give financially through the church to God? Because I want to honor God through my worship. This is why people say that let's worship God through giving, because giving is truly a form of worship. They gave to him gold, and we give to him money now because we see God as king. We see God as king. I want to make sure that you understand something because the Bible tells us, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God. For us nowadays, Caesar is the IRS. And the truth of the matter is the IRS ain't waiting for you to give it to them. They're going to take it from you. And oftentimes they take more than they're supposed to. That's why you get a tax return at the end of the year if you file your taxes. Caesar ain't going to wait on you. They're going to snatch his. He wants his right now. he dare you not to give it. He might not catch you year one or two, but year three, he going to sneak up on you in a mighty bad way. Caesar takes, God wants you to give. Why? Because God has given us a choice. It's not worth nothing to God that he has to take it from you. Matter of fact, God doesn't need it. What God needs to see is that you're willing to give it. And when you are willing to give it, then he can turn around and give you more. By us giving to God financially, we seen God as the provider of our lives. The kings had all final rule and decree in their country. When people were in debt, the king could make things happen. And so, therefore, they gave to God financially through gold because they saw God as the king. They saw God bigger than a president. They saw God bigger than a government. They saw God as the one that had all rule and all over their lives. The second thing that we learned through the text today is not only... Do we uh, sacrifice through our giving financially? They gave to God a second thing. They gave to God frankincense. They gave to God frankincense, and what frankincense is? It represented who he truly is. The gold represented to them who he was, but the frankincense represented who he truly is. Frankincense was like a a sweet perfume. It was it was like Gucci. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was that best stuff that you can only get once in a while. It was, it, it was Invictus. Whatever it is that, you know, that favorite cologne that you really love, that favorite perfume that you really love. Isaiah, Isaiah snuck. we're packing up our house. We're trying to sell And I put all of my cologne inside this one box. All of my cologne inside this one box. And I only left three colognes out because I didn't want nothing disappearing while people come and watch my house. It was the little cheap stuff that I don't even care about. A little time ago, figure out know, the back-in-the-day jupe, you know what I mean, all that stuff. It was, it was just sitting on the counter. But my good stuff was in my box. My real good stuff was in my box. One day I come home from work. Isaiah had already went to school, and I go and look on my bathroom sink, and, and one of my good stuff is on my bathroom sink. Now, I know I didn't leave my good stuff out on my bathroom sink. I know we didn't have any showings today. There was only one person that has an addiction to cologne worse than I do in my house, and that's my son, Isaiah. And I asked him, Isaiah, did you go get this cologne out of the box? And he was like, "Yeah, dad, I needed to wear it today. I wanted it to smell good." I was like, "All right, cool, no problem." But when you get it, make sure you put it back. Why? Because this is of value to me. Don't anybody just have access to this? This is my private collection. This is my select. That's what frankincense was in that time. Frankincense was that sweet aroma that was designated only for holiness. That was designated only for the righteous. And so when they brought God frankincense when they brought jesus christ frankincense it was saying that we know that you are truly royalty you are the true god and as a result of it i want to give you my best fragrance i want to just bring you that leftover stuff i want to give you that stuff you can't get from nowhere else except one place in america they don't even have this at a knockoff store yet i want to make sure that you get my best fragrance this is what they brought to christ And they did so because it represented who he truly was. He is God made flesh. The second reason why we sacrifice is not only because he's the king of our lives, but the second reason is because he is God of all. He controls all. We should be willing to give him our best because he's given us his best. Even our worst day is nothing compared to what God could have done. And so, therefore, we willingly submit our best unto him. So they gave him gold. They gave him frankincense. But then they said, you know what, God? We are going to also give you myrrh. I give you the gold because of who I thought you are in my life. I give you the frankincense because of who I know you truly are. But I give you the myrrh because of what I know that you're about to do. Myrrh was like embalming fluid back in the days. And it represented death. It was used for the dead. And so when they gave Christ myrrh, they did so knowing that the sacrifice that I'm going to make to you today is because I know that there's going to be a sacrifice that you're going to make for me tomorrow. I know that somewhere down the line, the, the revelation will come true. The prophecy will come true that you will be crucified that you will die and that you will raise and so I give you the myrrh honoring the death that you will take upon you. The death that you will take upon you that will give me life. So when we think about why do we give to God, we give to God because of who he is in our lives. We give to God because of who he is over all. And we give to God because of what he's already done for us. I don't know about you, but when I look at giving with a purpose now, It's not so hard for me to give. It's not so hard for me to sacrifice because I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm not giving an offering. I'm not giving a tithe just because somebody is asking me. I'm not doing it because we need to keep the lights on. I'm doing it because this is my way of honoring God. This is my sacrifice of honoring who God is to me, who God is to all, and what God has already done through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you not realize that we could have been cast away? You, have you forgotten that he, he had a great flood? He wiped the earth out. He saved one family. What if he would have got to the point that you said, he said, you know what, Jesus Christ, you ain't going to be able to fix it. They still going to mess up. They still going to do the wrong thing. And what if he would have said, you know what, matter of fact, let's just go on and wipe the whole thing clean, and we're going to start this thing over from ground zero. But he saw fit to have grace and mercy upon us to say, you know what, I'm going to make the final sacrifice. Since they can't make the sacrifice that I'm expecting them to make, that is acceptable unto me, I'm going to make the final sacrifice through my son, Jesus Christ. And all I'm asking them to do is honor him. If you accept him and honor him, then I know that you're a part of who I'm asking you to be. When we lose a loved one, we oftentimes remember every year, whether it's on their birthday or the day they died, to go to their graveside. When family members are in an accident, wherever they had the accident and died, oftentimes we go put flowers and teddy bears where they are as a remembrance, as an offering unto them. We honor it because of who they were. We should be willing to sacrificially, financially do the same for God, to put our belief in God above our belief, and our problems, and our circumstances. When you give into your financial burdens of life, when you let the enemy trick you and make you believe that I, I should just do pay my bills instead of giving unto God, making a sacrifice to God, do you not realize that you are verbally saying that, God, you are not strong enough to provide for me? You curse would a curse. You have verbally said to God, spiritually said to God, that I don't believe that you can handle this situation the wise men came before him and they made the sacrifice unto him because they knew everything that he could do external worship was about submitting yourself to God external worship was about being many, willing to make a sacrifice to God the final and last thing that I want to leave you with today as we close external worship is making sure that you're living a life that shows that you are willing to serve the will of God. If you don't believe me, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, and we'll close on this statement. The Bible says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country by another. Being warned by God, dream in a revelation not to return to Herod they left their own country what was familiar to them by another way. I want to make sure that you understand something one of the best ways to worship God is not only submitting yourself to him not only taking the opportunity to sacrifice financially to him but being willing and sold out to live for him This is what the text teaches us. They had a responsibility. They could have been put to death for not going back to King Herod. But even though King Herod told them to come back, they could have been popular. They could have had a big seat in the king's palace. They could have been on the king's payroll, not had to worry about anything. But instead of doing that, they said, I've heard from God, and I'm going to do it God's way instead of my own way. I need that to really resonate in your life because many of us have heard God through the word, through the preacher, through teachers, through mom, through dad, through dreams, revelation. We have heard the voice of God. We know what is the right thing to do. We know God's way. But the problem is we still want to do it our way. You can't serve God without serving his will and trying to do it your way. The the Bible says it itself in verse 12. It says they left what was familiar to them. I know that we've been doing it a certain way for many years. And for some of us, it's worked. For some of us, it have not But the truth of the matter is, at this point, they received a revelation that says, you know what? I can't do it my way anymore. The Bible says it in the text. It says they did it another way. Women, I know some of you have caught men the way that you want to catch men and it pays off all the time. But I promise you, oftentimes it fails. But have you ever thought about doing it another way? I know we've we've tried to cover our financial debt. We've robbed Peter to pay Paul. We've came up with hustles, we've asked big mamas, we we've, we've done everything that we can do. But the question is, have you ever tried to do it another way? We've tried to do everything our way, but have we ever tried to try another way? Because another way and the only true way is his way. I mean, Jesus Christ said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the light." If we truly want to receive what God has for us, then we have to do it his way. I said it a couple of Sundays ago, if not last Sunday, I don't mind struggling as long as my struggle leads to success. I know that I'm going to struggle in life. It has to happen. But can you guarantee me that it's going to lead to success? I don't shoot dice because I can't guarantee I'm going to hit a seven. I don't know for sure I'm going to win. I don't want to take this chance gambling because I'm not for sure it's going to pay out. I want a sure thing. You'll never see me at a racetrack betting on a horse because it's not a for sure thing. Christ is the only for sure thing that we have in our lives, and the problem is we have the best odds in the world, and we won't place a bet. We won't put our lives on the line. If I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I could pick the right lotto numbers and guarantee to hit that $100 million jackpot, I would buy a lotto ticket. But many of us don't realize that's why we buy five and six of them, because we have no guarantee. God is the only guarantee that you have for your life. This is why it was so amazing Herod had an issue with Jesus Christ because of the fact that he knew if Jesus Christ was on the scene, everything would change. People wouldn't even be afraid of him anymore and submissive to him anymore. Because they knew who Jesus was. Do you know the track record of Jesus? How Jesus begins to recover sight to the blind. How Jesus healed the lepers. How lame Herod had a very good reason to be afraid. Because it showed that they were just fakes and phonies. Can you understand that? If you turn your focus to God first, all the other foolishness will look like nothing. I can't help but to think about one of my favorite cartoon shows Uh, when I was young. I used to get upset with my son now. He wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning to watch Pokemon and all these other things on on TV. And I want to sleep in so I understand how my dad and mom felt when I was young and and woke up early. And they wanted to sleep in. But so I'm I'm getting payback now. He gets up at 6 o'clock with Now, it's funny because on school days, he can't get up on time. But... But on cartoon days, he he's up bright and early. But one of my favorite cartoons when I was younger was Popeye. Man, Popeye the Sailor, man. That dude was amazing. Dude, dude, that's right. Dude. And, and and he was amazing, man. I, I don't care what else came on. I wanted to watch me some Popeye the Sailor, man. Popeye had this arch enemy called Brutus. Y'all know Brutus. He He always wanted to caused Papa some pain, some harm. He always wanted to do something bad to Papa. And every once in a while he would catch Papa off guard. Catch Papa when it was just Papa. And and Papa would get whooped out of him. He would be drug all over the floor. But occasionally something would happen. Papa would find himself a crate of spinach, a can of spinach, a grain of spinach. And even when Papa couldn't open his mouth, the spinach may have made it into his pipe. Somehow, Popeye would have encountered the spinach. And instantly, once Popeye received that spinach, I mean, you would begin to see muscles bulge. I can't do it like Popeye did it, but you would begin to see muscles bulging. out of not know. He would jump up, and Brutus would already know, listen, he got his spinach. It's an issue. Brutus would try to get away. Popeye would reach out and grab him, and it was about to go down. Because he got the spinach. It didn't, I catch this, the spinach did Papa no good on the outside. But when the spinach got on the inside, when the spinach got on the inside, it did something to Papa. Now, I thought it was just Papa that was a superhero with the spinach. But then I realized that the spinach was, it was something about the spinach. Because then Popeye's little baby, y'all remember when Papa had a baby? The baby would eat the spinach. And it would do something to the baby. Popeye's daddy would eat the spinach, and it would do something to the daddy. Popeye's girlfriend would eat the spinach. His wife would eat the spinach, and even she would be on supercharge. It was all in the spinach. The truth of the matter as believers is not that God wants to bless somebody more than he blesses you. The question is, what do you have on the inside of you? internally are you worshiping God, because if you're internally worshiping God, then God will allow people to see the fruit of what's happening on the inside of you, on the outside of you. Instead of talking about somebody else, instead of judging somebody else, instead of putting somebody else down, instead of watching somebody else, why don't you get to a point where you begin to work on yourself? Get the true spinach, the Holy Spirit. Get God's revelation. Get, Get the anointing of God within your own life and watch how your life changed. Watch how your relationship changed. Watch how your marriage changed. Watch how all of these things come into place because of the fact that you want to do right by God. The Magi did not go back to Herod because they were not afraid anymore of what Herod would do to them. This is why when we leave here today, we shouldn't go back to our sinful lifestyles because of the fact we shouldn't be afraid of what the world will say about us. We shouldn't be afraid to do what God is asking us to do because we know that God will do all and cover all on our behalf. But the problem is if you go back to the same foolishness expecting different results, it's because you're more afraid of them more than you will be willing to worship him. I think about the holiday season. I don't really think about <coughs> receiving gifts. Truth of the matter is, in our house right now, we don't even have a Christmas tree up and gifts wrapped. Not because I'm a Scrooge. Not because I don't love the holiday. But the truth of the matter is that this day isn't about us. I buy my kids things year-round. My son's addicted to Walmart. Got Nerf guns more than I can count everything that he could possibly ever want he's able to get because of the simple fact that I do what I'm supposed to do by God why would I change up my rhythm of honoring God to celebrate what should represent him in a way that gives him no glory and no honor I'm not saying parents don't buy your kids a gift I don't want my children not to hate not begin to hate the church and not want to come back But what I am saying is can we begin to truly worship God in the manner that he deserves to be worshipped? Can we look at God and worship him in spirit, internally, and in truth? I mean, not just y'all, even me. Can I even get better about my relationship with God? so that I can begin to honor God through everything that I do and see God's face the way that I'm supposed to see God's face, so it can begin to manifest in my marriage, so it can begin to manifest in my church and on my job? Can I begin to just give God the honor that he deserves to truly submit myself to his will, his way, to worship him in the manner that he desires to be worshipped so that I can truly experience? Can I give like he's asking me to give, not worried about? but saying you know what Lord I'm giving unto you because this is what you've asked me to do expecting God to open up doors that no man can close can I get back to the point of where we used to be where God expects us to be because we are his church we are his people we are the sheep of his pastor God inhabits our praise but we can't praise him if we don't know him can I pray for you today we thank you.